0: Well, some of you recognize me and I recognize some of you. I was youth pastor here for 11 years from 20, 2000 to 2011. And uh, my, I feel like this is very much a part, I'm part of the dirt here. When, and what I mean that is that when they voted to buy this property, that was also the same meaning they voted to hire me as youth pastor. So I kind of came along with this property. And so I feel a little bit of an attachment and something that many of you may not know Uh, When we were building this facility and coming into it in 2005, uh, we had the youth come in one night prepared uh, ahead of time. It's like, who has the Lord put on your heart that doesn't know Jesus uh, that you want to commit to praying for regularly? And they came that night, we're praying for them, and then we wrote their names on the floor in the youth area cause the carpet was gonna go in that following week. And so I've written names in that room that uh, I know of at least one that still needs Jesus. Uh, but uh, we wrote a lot of names down there that were, you know, we're committing to the Lord and saying, Lord, we hope that you reach these people uh, for you. And uh, so I have a lot of attachment to what God has done at uh, West Shore here. I've been at Lancaster Evangelical Free Church as lead pastor there now for, it'll be 12 years this summer. And uh, and that's become very much home. But this is where I would say God grew me up in a lot of ways uh, as a leader. And so I'm forever grateful to this church. I want to also say that it is a gift to give to your pastor a sabbatical. Uh, I took one in 2018, and uh, God used it to really give me fresh vision and fresh fire uh, for the future of LEFC, and, uh, and I'm confident that Trent is going to benefit greatly by the gift you've given him, uh, being able to get away like that, and uh, be able to restore and refresh. I had the privilege of golfing with Trent about three weeks ago in California. Uh, we, had to, we decided to do lunch there, and uh, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, We were both at a conference together, we knew, and we worked ahead of time to take our clubs, and so we went golfing together, and he still invited me to come after that. Uh, And so we had a great time together, and I know that he was uh, looking forward to uh, this season of of time. Uh, But to prepare you for what the weeks uh, are ahead for West Shore, uh, Trent has asked several different pastors that are friends of his or friends of West Shore To speak during this time. And what he asked us to do was to speak on a particular character or person that's found in scripture. So over the next few weeks, while Trent is away, you will hear from people that will speak to the life of Joseph, Daniel, Abraham, Isaac, Jonah, Peter, the Samaritan woman, and Rahab. And today we're going to look at the apostle Paul. So I'm gonna ask you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we'll also be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 after that. Uh, But to lay a little bit of groundwork before we're in the text, I would just want to give the journey of Paul, if you will. We initially know him as Saul in Scripture. In fact, his name comes up for the very first time when Stephen was killed because he was a follower of Jesus. That happens in the book of Acts and We know that Paul or Saul at that time presided over that death, but his story even getting to that moment is something that you have to appreciate. Paul gives his credentials in Philippians chapter three, and it says that he was born into a home that was very uh, committed to raising their children to being very good Hebrews. So he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was brought up in all the education that young Jewish boys should have. So he had That experience, and not a lot of the Jewish people had. And so, but he could claim it is that from a youngest of age he was raised right. He was a Jews Jew. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, which was one of the the royal tribes, as King Saul was part of that lineage, and that's probably where he got his name, Saul. And so he he knew his lineage, and then he was able to get into the school of the Pharisees. Now that wasn't a given. That is something that of privilege, you would be given the opportunity to become a Pharisee. But he wasn't just any Pharisee. They were all given opportunities to be in different schools. And his mentor, where he did his internship, was Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was the foremost teacher of the Pharisees. So he could say, I even studied directly under Gamaliel. And that would have given him incredible respect. But he was also seen as a rising star. It wasn't just that he had all this education and all these experiences from his childhood that would say he is worthy of respect. They saw that he had zeal. He was known as being very zealous and a rising star leader that if you have a hard task, give it to him. So this new movement called The Way. Which was the term given to the church, those who believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that He is the Son of God and He is the Redeemer and, and Lamb of God. And so this way was starting to grow significantly. And, and so what did they do? They were like, we gotta put this, this this movement down because we're losing our influence. So they put Saul to the task. And we see him actually bring the first martyr, Stephen, into the public square. And as part of giving authority to it, those who were stoning Stephen had to show that they were given permission to do so. And that permission was from Saul. And that's why they laid their coats at his feet. So Saul was that kind of guy where it's like, if you need something done, he's your guy. And so when they heard that the movement had begun to take strong root in Damascus, they sent Saul to put it out. There's a fire brewing. Let's, let me put out that fire. So he goes, and while he is en route, God transforms him. Jesus meets him on that very road. He is blinded by the brilliance of Jesus' light. He goes into Damascus. A leader of the way, Ananias, disciples him. But he even then was warned by, by God. It's like, listen, I know Saul's coming, and you knew he was coming, but he was coming to put away this movement and to persecute you, but I want you to receive him as a brother. That was a very confusing message. So the church was aware that Saul was coming and they knew that he had already put people to death and arrested many. So they were probably extra cautious with Saul's arrival. Saul comes into town, but nobody hears from him. Where is this zealous Paul, Saul as they know him? And, and and where is he why isn't he speaking and what's he doing and then and then after days Saul finally shows up and he begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ it was confusing to the church because they had been preparing for his arrival to be afraid of him to be fearful of him because he would persecute them and now he comes out out of hiding out of nowhere and begins to preach could this be a trap a trick to infiltrate their innermost circle because they weren't doing so well the, the way the church was growing and exploding. So maybe this is their new strategy. So in the same text where Saul, now Paul, gives his credentials about all the things he had that he could boast about, he makes this comment. says, whatever were gains to me I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He even goes on to say that to know Jesus makes everything else garbage. He would rather know Jesus and everything else is just garbage. How did Saul becomes Paul go from being zealous against Jesus to being so on fire for Jesus that he would say, everything else that I've ever experienced under Gamaliel and my family, and, and even just getting all the accolades from the community, how is it that he could now say, I consider all of that garbage for the sake of knowing Jesus? Something had changed. We know that in 1 Corinthians 9, he begins to preach a message and there's consistency in the message of Paul. He talks about a freedom, And this freedom is freedom in Christ, but the freedom is from the law. And I want to speak to that for a moment because I think we have to understand the law is good. God gave the law to reveal the character of man and the character of God. The law tells you that which is moral and that which is holy, but the law also reveals then where we're not holy and we're not so moral. But the law could never do what Jesus did. The law shows our guilt. It reveals our guilt, but it does not save us. We're still stuck in our sins due to the law. It just reminds us that you are not God and that you are unholy. But Paul's message was, if you come to Jesus, you're gonna discover freedom from the law. And then you get to live out the life that the law points to that is moral and beautiful, but you now do so with the pleasure of God and with the power of God through his Holy Spirit. And he speaks of this freedom often, but with this freedom, there is a strange response to it that Paul gives. And that's where I want us to begin in verse 19 of chapter nine, because this message from Paul is what we need to receive today to understand his life and his message. So verse 19 of chapter nine of 1 Corinthians. Corinthians. Though I am free, Paul speaking, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. To those, and though myself, I'm not under the law. So as to win those under the law and to those not having that law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I become weak. Hmm. I become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that I may share then in its blessings. All right, so we have here that the message of Paul is freedom. But in this case, he says, I have freedom to do everything, but I belong to no one, but I'm going to actually make myself then a slave, which would be actually the opposite. Slaves have no freedom. And so he says, I am free and belong to no one, but I am going to make myself a slave to everyone. Why? Why? so that by all possible means, he might win people to Jesus. So for him, this freedom in Christ message that he preaches, he's willing to surrender that freedom for the sake of winning others. Now, in this text, you're going to see freedom mentioned, but then freedom given up. Jesus's message, when he was speaking to this movement that's going to happen beyond himself, he says, now... When people come to me, they're going to discover this, that the whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Wow, you're still teaching the Bible around here. That's good. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. In this text, when he talks about his freedom, he says, I have received freedom in Christ. The Son has given me that freedom, but I'm going to give it up for the sake of others to win them that very gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. In this text, Paul speaks five times to the the term winning. Now, I've been in sports most of my life, either as player or as coach, and I like to win. Sports are way more fun when you win. And this case, when you see this, he is talking about winning, not for the sake of a personal attainment but winning on behalf of somebody else. Could you imagine an athlete giving all themselves over to a particular sport so that they could help somebody else win? I'm gonna be the worst athlete possible so somebody else can be first. It's kind of undoing it, right? It's kind of an upside down mentality that winning actually means somebody else crosses the line first. But that's the spirit that Paul's speaking to, is that he wants to see as many as possible win. But he does so under some interesting context. He says, okay, so I have freedom. I belong to no one other than Jesus, but I'm going to give up that freedom so that I can win the Jew, And he says, I am willing to give up some of my freedoms that when I'm interacting with Jewish people, I might have freedom because of Christ, but in this moment, to be able to reach them, I'm willing to do some things to lose some of my freedoms for the sake of helping them come to Jesus. Then, to not just the everyday Jew, even to the most legalistic of Jews, those who are like he was, Pharisees, who are the highest standard. If it was said, you're supposed to fast seven days, they would fast like 10. If they were supposed to not eat certain foods, they would add lists to that, add more foods to that list because they wanted to show that, that not only were they righteous, they were super righteous. What Paul says here is like, well, not only would I be willing to give up some of my freedoms to reach the everyday Jew, but I'm willing to give up some freedoms to reach the most legalistic of Jews. Then he goes on. How about the Gentiles who don't have the law, who weren't given the law of Moses, who have a totally different set and paradigm of how to live and what is moral and what is immoral. He goes in like, you know what? I will do what is ever possible to give up my freedom as long as I am honoring God with what I'm doing and I'm not violating his law. I will go into the lawless and minister to them. You see it all the time with Jesus Who did he hang out with? Tax collectors and sinners. Sinners were the Gentiles. He would sit at the table of Gentiles and that would have been seen as forbidden by the Pharisees because you're sitting with unclean people. Paul's saying, I'm willing to sit at a table with the lawless and forsake my standing maybe elsewhere so that I can reach the lawless at my table. Then he goes on to say, And to the weak, I'll do whatever I can to help the weak know Jesus more. And if that means I have to forego some of the strength that I have and some of the freedoms I have that comes with being a stronger brother, I'm willing to become weak for the sake of helping somebody who's weak in their faith or has no faith. So you're starting to capture the heart of Paul. So he was this zealous very gifted man who was known as being a a game changer for the Pharisees and now is on the side of the church and he has been given a liberation of which he now knows all the things that I've been doing to the strictest end, I now don't have to do, but I'm gonna choose to go back into some of it so that I can reach those who are still stuck in it or even do what I would have never considered doing, hanging out with the unclean, for the sake of reaching the unclean. Doing all things possible, as he says, to win people for Jesus. Chapter 10, verse 23. And, and again, I, it's just a page over likely in your Bibles, but some of these freedom choices are difficult. It's not so simple to just give up freedoms for the sake of somebody else's benefit. There are tough and difficult choices that have to be made. And he identifies them as he's speaking to the church in Corinth because he's telling them, I have given up my freedom so I can serve you. And now I'm going to challenge you to give up your freedom so that you can win others. So how does he do this? Verse 23, Paul speaking again to this group. He says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of many. Go to verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many. Why? So that they may be saved. There it is again. So the whole context of what he's saying here about freedom, you have the right to do anything, but it's not always beneficial or constructive. And the glory must always go to God. And then you're trying to do everything you can for, by all possible means to win others for Jesus. So it continues to be his theme. We have freedom in Jesus, but there are costs that can be made for the sake of others discovering that freedom. So now he flips the, the chart or the, the, the page back towards his audience. So let me do that to you. If Paul says, I'm willing to give up my freedom so that when I'm with a Jew, I do what I can with that Jew to reach that Jew. When I'm with somebody who's not Jewish, I do what I can to reach that person who is not Jewish and so on. Now he's saying, here's where it gets real. As I look at you in your freedom, if you know Jesus in your freedom... You might be able to do certain things, but are you willing to ask yourself, I have the freedom to do this, but is it going to be beneficial for somebody else to come to Jesus? You see, there are people in our lives, our sphere of influence, that you might be the only person who knows Jesus and knows the freedom that comes in Christ. And if by the way you live and you live and indulge in your freedoms, but you don't consider how it either benefits or harms the other person, you haven't really captured the heart of the gospel. Because what did Jesus do? He had the right to do anything, right? He's the son of God. He is the firstborn of all of heaven and earth. He had the right to do anything, but what did he do? He gave up everything so that He could build a church and win others for him, right? Now Paul is following his lead, and he looks to the church and says, okay, you've been given freedom in Christ, and we are grateful for that freedom in Christ, but are you willing to give up that freedom so that it benefits the journey of somebody else coming to Jesus? That's the first question. Second question, then he says you have the right to do anything if you've been given to Christ, and you know the freedom that comes in Christ, You had the freedom to do anything, but have you ever considered that whether your freedom is going to be constructive or destructive in somebody's journey towards Christ? Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 31. It's like, okay, can you say that even in your freedom, that whatever you do, eat, drink, or whatever, you gather with other people, that no matter what you do, who's gonna get the glory? Is it you or is it God? And then lastly, he looks at the church in Corinth and says, you have freedom to do anything. But are you thinking in terms of whatever it takes to win somebody for Jesus versus hindering them by your freedom? So how does this look? What is he talking about? Bring it to 21st century language, right? So in scripture, we're given the freedom to drink, we are. In Scripture, it's given that. But we're given tons of caution about it. And in fact, we're even told we're not to get to the point where we're drinking where it has influence over us. So there's all those boundaries. So there's freedom to drink. But there are there not times where we might need to consider, is my freedom to drink going to be a hindrance or harmful, destructive, and and the like to somebody that maybe you're ministering to in that moment? Are you willing to give up your freedom out of sensitivity to somebody that maybe that might be harmful and not beneficial? That might be destructive and not constructive. And by you choosing like, you know what? I don't care. I have freedom in this. Guess who just got the glory? You, not God. And the final question, you're like, you basically flipped your nose at you really don't care whether your actions and freedoms move somebody towards Jesus. This can also apply to where we eat. Again, I have complete freedom. I, I do not struggle with eating at places that have bars in it. I can go there because it, taverns often have the best wings. They just do. So I, I want to go eat there because I like wings, and, and so... But there might be times where I might have to give up my freedom to go to a tavern because of somebody I'm with or ministering to, where that would be the worst place to take them or to spend time with someone because it might not be constructive or beneficial to them. In fact, it might be destructive and harmful. The same can go for going to movies or what you watch at home with a gathering of people. And speaking of gatherings, could there be some points where you're going to certain gatherings might be maybe not the wisest thing to do for the sake of somebody else? I can go into a gathering where the intent of that gathering, quite frankly, isn't honoring to God whatsoever. But I can go into that gathering and be an influencer versus being the influence because I'm in a position of strength. Now, I would have to operate with wisdom and care and prepare my heart, but I can go in that. But that may not be the case for somebody I'm witnessing to that needs Jesus. And maybe, maybe my presence at that might actually harm a situation that I'm speaking the gospel into. Am I willing to give up my freedom from a position of strength for the sake of a weaker person? Now, does Paul actually practice what he preaches? Was he willing to be all things to all people so that he might win some? Let me give you an example with the story of Timothy. And we know that he's written a couple letters to Timothy. Timothy was a a young leader in the church. He was a great servant along with uh, Paul. And we know in the book of Acts that there was a particular group of very legalistic Jewish people that Paul was invited to go into and speak to. It's a great opportunity. These would be some of his former former compatriots, where, where they were Pharisees together, strictest to the law. And he was invited to go in and speak to this new freedom. And he felt like the best assistant to come along with him was Timothy. But there was a problem. Timothy, who had a mother that was Jewish, his father was Greek. And so usually whoever the father was would establish the set of rules for the home. And since his father was Greek, that likely meant that Timothy was not circumcised. Now, in the Jewish church, if it wasn't for that, there was, there, there was probably no way to tell whether somebody was circumcised or uncircumcised. They're not checking at the door. So you've got a situation where it's like, but his father is Greek, so it was easy to presume that he was not circumcised. So now there's a dilemma the person that was best to assist Paul with this group was Timothy. But Timothy would never have been allowed in the room or allowed to speak. So therefore, he would be made irrelevant for this situation unless, unless Timothy was willing to give up his freedom. So he said, Timothy, would you be willing to be circumcised for the sake of being able to minister to this group of people? Because I need you. Now Timothy was already aware that Paul had been speaking and many times to the church that to put circumcision on the gentiles was not necessary for the gospel. So Timothy had a choice. I know in Christ I have freedom to stay as he is and to stay as I am. But if I want to minister with Paul to this group, I need to be willing to give up my freedom. So he did. Now, in a different context, Titus, Galatians chapter two, Titus, another assistant to Paul. In a particular church that Titus was serving in, all believers, they began to point at Titus and say, you know, he shouldn't really be the leader of our church because in Titus's case, he's fully Greek. I mean, there's no Jewish mother. So without a doubt, they knew that he was uncircumcised and they're like, He should not really be the leader of our church and being an uncircumcised Gentile. In this case, in verses 1 to 5 of Galatians 2, Paul ferociously defends Titus for not needing it because he's speaking to a group of believers that are trying to steal the freedom within the church. It's a totally different issue. They wanted to enslave somebody within the church. And the church is meant to liberate and give freedom. So this was not a case where the gospel was at risk. This was where the gospel's effect of giving freedom was at risk. And so Paul defended it. And so basically what you can learn from this is it, was, it really stunk to be Timothy, but it was great to be Titus. So does this ever play out today for us? I will give you an example from my life. Graduated from college. I had the opportunity to be able to be uh, an, an apprentice at a, a Southern Baptist church in Southeast Missouri. Great church. Started there, got my first weekend, and it was towards the end of that first week that the pastor came into my office and said, I, I, we've got a problem. I said, what's that? And he said, well, it's been a, we've never had a second pr- person on the staff I was the first ever person, but I was just tired for three months. And he says, our bylaws require that anybody on staff be a member. And you're not a member, and we've already had you working this week. And, and so what we're going to do is we're going to provide a special opportunity for you to become a member on Sunday, and then we, it solves the problem. So here's a bunch of reading uh, to do everything you can to get caught up so that you can make the declaration and affirm your standing, and, and we'll vote you in as a member. And I'm like, great. So then I read the paperwork. And in there, somewhere down, you know, again, all good stuff, and and then we get down to this part where it says, because in Southern Baptist churches, like free churches, they can have their own unique rules. So there's the Southern Baptist rules, but then there's that church's unique rules. And in this case, this particular church said, you could not become a member of that church unless you are baptized in a Southern Baptist church by an ordained Southern Baptist minister. So Baptist preacher, Baptist water. I failed on both counts because I was baptized in in the middle of nowhere, Kansas at at a church that was Wesleyan with Wesleyan water. And so I was in trouble. And so I went to the pastor's office and I said, I think we got a a problem here. And he said, and and when I told him, I said, he goes, were you baptized by immersion? Yes. And by, you know, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Yes. And I was like, when you were truly a child of God? Yes. And, I, and, I, and God's been working in my life ever since. And, and he's like, well, it all means the same. But he went back to the deacons. And it's like, well, we can't change the bylaws. We can't do it that quick. It requires months in advance. So then the decision was really up to me. Do I stay and submit to a second baptism, water baptism, Or do I go because of principle of where I like, listen, my first baptism was real. It meant a lot to me. So I called a mentor up, said, I'm in a a little bit of a pickle. What do I do? And he just said, well, do you want to be Timothy? What do you mean? So, well, Timothy had freedom to do whatever he wanted to, but he had a choice. If I'm going to work with that group of people, am I willing to be circumcised to do it? So I made a decision to be baptized over, and that church gave me full freedom as to what to say. So I said, while standing there next to the Baptist preacher in the Baptist water, and I tell the church, I said, I was baptized at age 10 by immersion. I gave a profession of faith, and that faith has been real, That that baptism meant a lot to me. Today I'm being baptized again as a second opportunity to proclaim who Jesus is and to make my commitment to you as a body, as a church, that I am committed to you and serving you. And I was baptized a second time. I gave up my freedom. I could have walked away having the high ground. We all agree, Baptist water and Baptist preacher doesn't make baptism legitimate nor is free church water and free church pastor making your baptisms legitimate. But it gave opportunity to preach the gospel. Paul said this, it was the ultimate statement that he could possibly give. He says, you know, I would give up my own salvation if it meant salvation for the Jews. It's Romans chapter nine, verse three. He was that committed That transformed, that zealous. And he said, you know, I don't think it's supposed to just be me. We weren't given freedom just so that we could keep freedom for ourselves. We were given freedom so that we could pay the freedom forward. And so what I learned from Paul is that freedom in Christ is a precious gift where life with God is not hindered by that law's limitations but the gospel also gives us the opportunity to willfully give up that freedom for the sake of others because it was in the very death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that that model was given, that Jesus gave up his position of authority and submitted himself as being a criminal on a cross just so that you and I could win. And like Jesus, Paul gave up everything for the sake of winning others. So then my question becomes to you, has Jesus changed your life? Have you been given freedom in Christ? And are you willing to give up some of that freedom that others may actually be able to know who Jesus is? See, that's where the rubber meets the road. If Jesus emptied himself for the sake of all of his rights so that we could win, and then it's, he says, now it's your turn. I give you the full freedom, not just so that you can indulge in it, but so that that freedom gives you the freedom to be a Jew to the Jews, to the one without the law, without the law, to the weak to be a weak brother, that you're willing to say, you know what? For whatever I can do, I'm willing for the sake of winning someone for Jesus. I'm willing to give up my freedom. Let's pray. Jesus, I I certainly did nothing to earn the work that you did on the cross for me. And I have been given a freedom and a liberation that has changed my life. And I know that as I'm saying that, there are others in the room that resonate with those statements. But I also know that you didn't just give me my freedom just so that I could be free. You gave me that freedom so that I am free to then give it back up for the sake of winning others. And so, Lord, would you stir in our hearts? Would you bring to mind people that we are placed among, family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, that maybe we need to give up some of our freedoms for the sake of their souls so that they can know Jesus. So do your work now. And Jesus, we thank you for your work and your model of life. Amen. Amen.